I'm Andrew Hill. This is Dogs, Pigs, and Fruit. Uh, let's say Tucson. Oh, you're the South. Yeah. West. I was, am, kind of. Oh, I grew up near, um, what do you call that place? Uh, P Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh, the Monongahela. Monongahela, yes. Okay. Yes. Did you finish high school there? Yeah, that's where I graduated high school, and then I went on to Ohio Valley, and then I went to Harding, and then I went to Harding grad, and then finished there, and then, and then later went to Lipscomb and finished there with an MBA. Yeah, yeah, David Fleer, good guy, like him. Yeah, that's uh, Ohio Valley. Yeah, he's a good guy. Like him, all right. He was a missionary in Germany. Yes. I taught his son. Oh wow. Let's see if I can scroll through here. Okay. No, 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 no. He was a. This person was a missionary in Germany. A mutual friend, not me. Okay. I've only been in the south. Let's see. So we're going to go ahead and get started. It's 11:05, and uh, who, who's here is who's here, and if other people come in, we'll praise the Lord for them. And wonderful. Uh, so this is. Uh, we're, we're just going to kind of open up and I'll give you a little bit about me because we're already asking all those questions. I'm 45. Uh, I've been in a number of places, done a number of things. Uh, I was at Ohio Valley. I grew up near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, my dad was a church planter, had issues and uh, uh, separated from that and all kinds of things. And then I went to Ohio Valley and I went to Harding and I got an elementary ed degree. And then uh, taught PE and youth ministry for two years in Northern California, Fairfield. And um, then I went to Buffalo, New York and helped a church just about double from 50 to a little over 100. Uh, and I was there for about seven years. Uh, I met my wife there. I was a single preacher, one of maybe one or two others <laughs> at that time. There's very few of us in the Churches of Christ. And uh, met my wife. She walked in on a Wednesday night. Uh, we went from there to planting a campus ministry in Buffalo, and it was a great, wonderful thing that we did. And then in two years after that, we moved to China. In China, we were missionaries teaching English through China now, um, and we were there enjoying that. Uh, and let's see here. Uh, our two children were born there. I learned Chinese as we worked with the Preston Crest Church. Uh, as uh, residents in Beijing studying Chinese and uh, helped to not deliver but translated the birth of my children uh, as our translator got a little nervous and <laughs> left the room. <laughs> and so I continued to work through that with my wife and I got to see both of my wonderful children born, uh, Lucia who is eight and Zephaniah who is five now. And they're a handful and blessings and wonderful and fun. Um, and then uh, we came back from China and worked with the Mountain Avenue Church of Christ, and I was there for three years. Where's that? Uh, that well, it was in Tucson. Okay. Uh, I was brought to either help revive it or close it, 
and it turned out that it was better to close. We gave a million and a half. It was a great, wonderful thing to be able to close and give a million and a half dollars to church planting. From that, hopefully six churches will be planted in Tucson that will be new and for new people through Kairos. Uh, so that was a great blessing. And then after there, uh, I was in Bakersfield, California for a little over a year. And uh, the difficulties of that, um, it was not a good fit exactly. We'll leave it at that. And um, uh, so when I come to this topic and talk about judging, <laughs> because that's what we're going to talk about today, uh, is... Dogs, pigs, and fruit. Yes, yes, just wait one minute. Dogs, pigs, and fruit is the title. And um, we're going to talk about uh, our, our spirit and our personal responsibility in the church, as well as how we uh, deal with our own heart as we struggle with people who uh, might be our arch nemesis in some regard or book themselves as such and do what they can. Because uh, in... Being a, a missionary, um, working with a church and helping it to grow and closing a church and then dealing with a mismatch in many respects, um, you learn very quickly as one of the leaders in the church that there's a big old target painted on your back or your chest or your head or your wife or um, whatever. And people aren't sure how to handle you and who to, how to talk with you. And at the same time, uh, people come with their own perceptions. And so as we talk through this, I want you to realize that I'm not perfect. I still struggle with all of the things I'm teaching because that is just part of being human. <laughs> and um, even as I say that though, I've worked really hard to be able to deal with people that are, are difficult um, because that's been a part of my life since I was very young. I early on mentioned my father. Um, he was uh, diagnosed with mental illness. He passed away two years ago, uh, but it came out when I was about 10, and he had major struggles and uh, disconnected from society as we understand it. And uh, so in trying to have a relationship with him, I had to build boundaries around that and recognize his issues and keep myself from being emotionally wrapped up in him, but yet loving him. And that's a very challenging thing to do. So in doing that, I've also trained myself to do that with everybody I come into contact with. But most people struggle to understand that you can have a conversation and a relationship with them even as they seem to destroy you and try to rip into you and do everything they can to not be friends with you. <laughs> and so I, I work hard to recognize where they're coming from and why they're behaving the way they are. And so I hope that as we talk about this today, we're going to be in Matthew 7. As we talk about this today, it makes sense to you <clears throat> and it, it's meaningful for you. And the first thing when you open up to Matthew chapter 7, what are the first words of uh, Matthew chapter 7 verse 1? First three words. You're thinking about it, thinking about it. Do not Yes, <laughs> we're talking about judging, and uh, Rex said, do not judge. And usually people stop right there and say, hey, 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 we're not supposed to judge. And I've had people tell me that, and I go, really, we're not? Does the passage end there? <laughs> no, it continues. Or you too will be judged. Yes. Well, here's the difficulty. Do not judge or you too will be judged. 
For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now here's the truth of the matter. Does anybody here not judge? Everybody judges. We constantly you have to judge. judge. To come in here. Yeah, you had to decide if you wanted to come and listen to somebody talk about dogs, pigs, and fruit, yeah. and you had to think about what is in the world is that? How is? What am I gonna? Do I want to be in there? That's a judgment call, mm -hmm. and it's a decision based on. Do you know this guy up here? No. Some of you do. Thank you for coming still, and some of you don't. Thank you for coming anyways. Um, but. The, the issue of this is, um, Matt Dabbs, I was just messing around looking for stuff. I've preached this a while ago, and I've updated my ideas on it quite a bit, but I was just looking the other night around, and Matt Dabbs, uh, uh, he's, he does wineskins, and he posts now videos on YouTube about church relationships and, and things, and Dabbs, D-A-B-B-S. Uh, he's, a, he's a pretty interesting guy, and his current stuff is basically moving in the realm of trying to help churches become healthy. And it's very important. Um, because the issue is when we say do not judge, and we ask everybody in the church not to judge, and we go along with our cultural context of nobody's allowed to judge, and yet what do you see every day? Judgment. Judgment. Does anybody watch Fox? Does anybody watch CNN? Does anybody watch the news at all? A lot of you are, are yes, we watch the news. No, we don't. They're like half and half. Here's the thing. I quit watching the news because I realized what it did. What is the number one sales tactic of news? Fear. And how does it do that? It's negative. And it builds on what? Well, Fear. When, I was, when I was in graduate school, yeah. and this has been back in the 90s, they yeah. were saying we don't have news anymore. We have docudramas. Yes. They want to dramatize the news. And yeah. fear is a factor. Fear is the biggest thing. So if it bleeds, it leads. That's the standard phrase, right? And there's a constant push for, oh, the Republicans, oh, the Democrats, oh, this, and oh, that, and oh, if you live here, and if you live there, and all these horrible things are happening in the world. And now recently, much more recently, some news stations are trying to just, we're going to have a news segment that's two minutes long, that's nice and positive and cheery, and here's what they find. People change the channel and they lose viewership. Mm -mm. You're kidding. Mm -mm. Oh. It used to be they tried to push them for five minutes and then it just got shorter and shorter and shorter. And as a result, um, now a lot of channels are just going, you know what, we're not gonna do positive news because we lose viewers. So they, they flip back and they keep going back to the, the if, it lead, if it bleeds, it leads type mentality and fear and overwhelming anxiety inducing stuff. So when that comes into the church, and we read, do not judge, and then we say, well, I don't want to be judged, but hold on, everybody's judging all the time. So then you have to read the next passage, the next little bit, where it's uh, Matthew 7, 3 through 5. It says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own, plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now this is the wonderful thing here. Everybody goes, don't talk to me, you got your own problems, and they point the finger and they're all like, you, 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 and uh, hold on. What does the passage say? There's a plank and there's a speck. But what are those from? A matter of perspective. That when I'm really looking at myself, my goodness, my problems are overwhelmingly huge. But I don't want to admit to that 
So I hide them, and I find the speck in your eye, and I rip it out, and I go, see, look at this massive thing. And what we've really done is just pushed our own anxieties and fears and worries onto somebody else and extrapolated them. Because it's from our own head that we recognize who they are. It's from our own issues. So even as we judge somebody else, we judge ourselves. So, oh, the first step of all this is to say, I have a problem. <laughs> me. So when I judge you, yes, I'm judging me. But at the same time, there is a judgment required. Because here's the next thing that shows up. You, you have to take the plank out to get the speck out. We each have to recognize that we all have problems and we're here to help each other with those problems. If we're not willing to do that, then why are we here? Like, what are we supposed to be doing? And if people say, there's no problem, don't talk about the problem. Well, now they've just buried something. And what happens when you bury something in your eye? It festers, mm -hmm. it gets infected, it, it can destroy the entire body as a result. And so you've got to deal with the problems. And here's the next thing we know. In verse 6, do not give dogs, this is where the dogs come in, yeah. what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to piggies. pigs, piggies, swine. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, this is where the slideshow would have been beautiful. Um, oh, you couldn't get the slide. Uh, it's not working. It's okay. Uh, yeah, it's all right. Still... There's just two pictures, okay. and they're really easy to think about. Wild dogs. Have you ever seen or heard a pack of wolves, a pack of hyenas, have you ever seen a documentary where wild dogs tear into the carcass of an animal? I mean, they can consume an overwhelming amount of animal flesh in minutes. Like, an entire zebra is gone. And you're like, whoa. When you talk about dogs, you're not talking about the lovely little fluffy pet that you have at home. You're talking about wild, vicious dogs. And when you're talking about pigs, you're not talking about the, you know, the little therapy pig that you might have seen on the news recently that was taken home because you know, they were stolen and then returned when they found out it was a therapy pig and oh, somebody needs that. And for whatever reason, they returned it. That was nice. But we're talking about the wild boars, the pigs that, you know, they're just as bad as the dogs. They'll, they'll come after you and they'll destroy you and they'll eat you alive. And you know, the old stories of gangsters who would go out to the pig farm and dump the body and then the body would be gone. Never to be seen again. And yeah, okay, well now you, you have. And um, <laughs> so when you're thinking about dogs and pigs, it's not the cute cuddly ones, it's the wild ones. And you have to think about those things. And then you say, hold on, Jesus is teaching you to say, there are dogs and there are pigs. These are people. But we're to be discerning. Yes, you have to be, what is it, wise as a serpent, serpent innocent as a dove. dove. And so you also have to take on these characteristics of the animals to recognize the other animals that want to do you harm and that will kill you. And so you have to ask, well, is this a dog? Is this a pig? And, and here's the other hard part. And this is where Matt Dabbs talks about this in a re recent video post he did to YouTube. He said... Um, our churches are becoming, well, it's increasingly clear that they're very codependent. A lot of ministers step into the pulpit and they want to make everybody happy. So they say everything they can in such a way to keep everybody happy instead of addressing the truth and right. dealing with the real problems. Mm -hmm. 
and they don't want to address such and such because so-and-so is going to be upset and they know that they're a great giver and we don't want them to be unhappy. And um, so-and-so has been the member the longest and we don't want them to be upset. So let's not talk about that issue because that'll make them upset. So there's these issues that we won't preach on, won't talk about, won't deal with, and won't counsel the church on and the eldership because we don't want to upset any of the brotherhood or the sisterhood, the members. And so that creates this ongoing unhealthy issue of a festering, horrible cancer deep within the church. And everybody's going, why, are, why can't we grow? Why do we struggle? Well, because we're not actually dealing with the bigger issues. And sometimes underneath those things, I should say not sometimes, but nearly always, there's those powers that you hear about, the evil powers, Satan, the demons. And we in the Churches of Christ only recently have said we can talk about those things. <laughs> so um, as we realize, hey, hey, are we fighting this person? Or is this person somehow being used by Satan and the powers to, of, of darkness and the principalities to destroy? Because, um, you know, there's this division that they want. There's a a loneliness that they want. They don't want people to be united and recognizing and humble and, and generous and admitting their own faults. They want people to be pushing away. Who's they? They, the demons, the oh, okay. powers that be out there, those, those evil forces around us, they're fighting for the destruction. And they look at that from an individual to the greatest systems on earth. And you have to say, hold on, what are those things doing? And so they, being the powers, of evil are trying to tear everybody apart. And see, the, the honest way to deal with this is to say, you know, there are times when I do things, me, Andrew, that aren't good, that aren't healthy, that cause major problems. And when I do that, I need to confess that and ask for forgiveness. When I do that and I don't, then people build resentments and anger and tension, and it keeps going. And so the issue is how can I recognize my own issues, taking the log out so that I can go and say, hey, Rex, brother, let's pray about this because I've seen this in myself. And how can I talk to you about it if I'm not willing to talk about my own issue? And then Rex says, hey, you're right, man. I've struggled with that. And I've seen you struggle with that. So let's pray about it. Let's work together and be kind and humble to one another. And um, as we do that, then what happens? then the church unites more and more. And it takes on more of that feeling of the 12-step program where, well, we know each other more than just first names, but we're confessing our sins. We're opening up and saying, hey, I'm an addict. Because if we're honest, we're all addicts. I'm addicted to sin. Your and my sin aren't exactly the same. Mine might be this thing over here, and yours might be that thing over there. Some of us, it's perfectionism, and some of us, it's pornography. Some of us, it's food, and, and some of us, it's fornication. And so as we look around, figuratively in our minds, <laughs> we need to look first to ourselves, recognize where we struggle, and how we destroy others, how we say things and do things in ways that continue to build a resentment, instead of being humble and saying, hey, whoa, I messed up. The more we're willing to say, I messed up, the less likely it is that we're a dog or a pig. And if you know preachers, it, you know some preachers at some point, if you've known more than one or two, you've probably known a few that over the course of life have, have been a dog or a pig at some point. They did things that were inappropriate, they said things that were inappropriate, or 
oh, the scandals that have come out where they run off with somebody and they divide the church, or they just run off with half the church, or there's, there's some sexual misconduct with a person underage, and you're going, what? That's destructive, that's evil, that's unkind, that's awful, but that takes us into the next category, fruity false prophets, that's what I like to call them. We're gonna skip down to verse 15, and it says, watch out for false prophets. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, it says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They look nice, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their, fru by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do pe people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And, and that's the thing. Again, uh, when I was a small child, we had this wonderful illustration of a fruit inspector. And you need to look at people's fruit because people say what they hope for. It's like when a preacher goes to interview with a church, they tell him what they hope the church will be, not exactly what the church is currently because most people can't see it, won't see it, don't want to admit to it. And even if they tried to be honest, they've been there so long that it's really hard to say really where the church is at. You almost have to have an outside perspective to come in and see that because it's my family, it's my friends, it's my, the people I've done life with for so long. And yeah, a little strange, but you know, it's okay. We get along, I mean, sort of. And so as we look at this, we have to say, hold, hold on. What, what fruits do we see in the lives of the people around us? And we have to ask, are these good? Are these bad? Is this healthy? And then you ask for the whole church. Is the church experiencing growth in, in, a, in a way that is healthy and providing life? Because if a church continues to decline, there's a reason for that. And if it's not producing disciples, then there's a reason for that. And if its disciples are not healthy and strong and vibrant producing disciples, there's a reason for that. And we have to back up and ask, where has this gone wrong? Why are we struggling with this? And so we, we need to look at those who are false prophets. And I don't mean in the sense of they teach something you don't like. I mean in the sense of they're actually there to deceive, destroy, to kill, to, to undermine in some way the work of God. They aren't there with uh, the best of intentions. Um, and the difficulty is this. In our current climate, let's be honest, <laughs> there are... There are those who say um, it is evil to, I mean, from my childhood, it's evil to clap. <laughs> there are those who also say it's evil to have instruments. Um, there are those who say you can only do four-part harmony and it must be from the songbook. Uh, and there are those who say we need to reach the masses and that's done through some sort of instrumentation or at least a praise team. And these things divide the church, and some people come in and say, that's a false prophet when you start to, that's not false prophet, that's a different understanding of scripture. <laughs> that is not the same as somebody coming in and saying Jesus really didn't rise from the dead. No. That, that's huge and very different. <laughs> but the culture that we're just brewing and stewing in is one of fear and deception and constant, I want it my way, Burger King, right? Um, the old 80s commercials of I want it my way and we'll make it your way. It's, oh, Nichols. Yeah, yeah. And so when you, when you think about all of that and you bring that into the church, you say, hold on. Are we here to sacrifice for the betterment of others or are we here to get what we like? 
And, and that's where, that's not an issue of a false prophet. That's an issue of a selfish person saying, I want what I want, but I want what I want. I'm older now. I'm in power now. I'm going to take it the way I want it. Or I'm younger and I am the church and the future of the church. And if you don't do what I want, I'm leaving. And that is the gridlock that we find ourselves in, in the church, in many churches. There are some churches which are going, hey, you know what? We love all of you, and we want everybody to love one another, and we're going to provide space and, and grace, grace and space. And this is one of my favorite mantras, that we need grace and space for everyone. Because there are those who feel more called to the Holy Spirit, and there are those who feel more called to, um, well, uh, the standard that we've always had for, I don't know, the last 30 years maybe, because let's be honest, there's no standard that goes back to the Bible uh, as far as the practices that we have in worship and all those kinds of things, or how we behave as a fellowship. It has morphed and morphed and morphed, and if you look back and study the, the restoration movement and how it's morphed throughout the time, the way we behave is so different from early on and it, you can definitely say, oh, look, in the 1850s, things happened where women were removed from any presence of leadership in the front. And that's in Distant Voices by Leonard Allen. And then you go to the 1906, and it was a rift over helping after the Civil War. And the North had more money and was building the instruments with the churches. And there was other issues. The South couldn't afford it. This was one of the big things. And the South said, please help us. And mostly churches of Christ were in the South. And mostly Christian churches were in the North. So we said, you're going to hell because of that. Because you won't send us money. Well, it's your fault. You burnt your own, you know, you, you brought this on yourself because you fought and you lost. And, and now we're going, hold on. If we can look back there and see these things, these are not false prophet issues. These are not heaven and hell issues. The real issues are, are we loving people to Jesus? Are we allowing people to come to know Jesus? Or are we building up blockades and walls and pushing them away because we're giving into a culture of climate and climate of fear and distrust? So let's go to the positive. Matthew 7, 17 through 20. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So again, we're looking for the good fruit. We want to find people in our church, in our family, in the, in the world around us and say, they're doing good things. Let's promote that, whatever that is. Let's promote that behavior, that culture, that, that attitude, because that is a part of judgment. That a wise person says, look at this. This is working. How do we replicate that in such a way as to make it good for us that keeps it within our normal, whatever DNA or abilities or uh, talents. But if we see Rex is having a great time over here in Delaware with his church and he's having success because of how he's doing ministry, then by all means, we want to learn from Rex what he's doing that's good and, and advance that, right? But if we look over and we see, I'll just use myself, Andrew, as someone who's doing uh, a horrible thing, and there's nothing positive coming out of his ministry, we want to say, oh, look, let's not replicate that. <laughs> let's understand what didn't go right, and let's fix that. And, and that's what a preacher such as myself would do when that happens. Now, let's go back to the middle of all this and see the lens for the whole chapter, and in fact, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12 
is the one we skipped over. It says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, here's the question. (laughs) When others judge you, how do you want them to judge you? Because they're going to judge you. By my heart. By your heart. How do they know your heart? They have to get to know me. Yes, they have to know you. And how- the only person that really knows my heart is God. Okay, and only God knows your heart. So, in terms of that, then how do we get to know one another? We have to spend time with each other. Yeah. Now, you know, I like you. But <laughs> I'm like some of these people. I've got 30 years on you. Yeah, sure. Okay. And... I grew up and saw the men in front of the church almost have a fight when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But God took care of me. He sent me to a Christian college. Mm-hmm. And I saw something that has been my mantra through life. Because Vietnam was in play and all the guys, the draft number came up. So we had three professors. A voluntarily, not in a class. If you had time and wanted to come hear the reviews, you could. Okay. So, one was the Bible professor, and he felt like he could serve in the military. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, he, he could be a medic. A medic. A medic. Okay. Because he's not fighting, he's right. saving he's lives. Saving. Then we had an English professor that he was an objector, he, he couldn't do anything. Yeah. Then we had um, a history professor who'd been a missionary in Brazil, and he'd been in the military. He could serve anywhere, doing anything. Yes. Now, those three men, to this day, love one another. Yes. They don't think the same, and I needed to see people mm-hmm. who could love each other, even though they didn't think exactly alike. Alike, right. and that gave me hope in mankind. Yeah. <coughs> And Christian people. Well, and that is where we're going. <laughs> because the truth is, if, if we pulled us, just how many ever are in the room today, and even all the people on the campus, not two of us would measure exactly the same on what we believe and what we believe is, is of essential importance and is of opinion and is, is not really consequential in any way. We would all come up all over that spectrum. And Sorry. the issue... The rest of you have the right to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody has the right to be wrong. Right. And here's the thing. There's a book I read recently that is not a church book. Uh, but it's a great book. And it's by a guy named Jonathan Haidt. H-A-I-D-T. And it's called... Um, I'll give you the title of it in a second here. It's called The Righteous Mind. Um, and Jonathan is J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N. Haidt. A A. I'm sorry, H-A-I-D-T, the righteous mind. And um, let's just skip down to that. Why good people are divided by politics and religion. (laughs) And uh, here's what he says. He says there's three ethical foundations. This is the summary of his book. And this is where the slide would be helpful because you could see all these words. But it's not hard and I I won't go fast. Three ethical foundations. There's divinity, the divine foundation for ethics where everything is somehow related to God and everything's wrapped up in the godly things. And it's not divine as in Jesus, it's divine as in spiritual, as in like, what's an 
ethically divine country that you think of where everything's about the spirit. Everything's about um, animals that are God-like or Hindu. Hindu, India. So when you think of a, a divinity ethic, it's something like that, where it's wrapped up in the spiritual world of everything. Um, a community ethic is the next one, community. And what does community look like when community becomes the central focus of things? Think of a culture, a host of cultures, one part of the world, where the community is more important than the individual. Communism? Well, yes but no. Asia, in the right geographic Social. area, it's, it's um, China, Japan, Korea, and that general area. When they write their address, they start with the country, then the city, then they go down to the community that you're in, then the street, and then your person's name. And that's where you find the community ethic is highest with them and greatest with them because community beats the individual. Now, the third one should naturally then be the individual. individual. And who wins that race? America. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are worshiping the individual. I am right, and everybody else has the uh, <laughs> ability to be wrong, and my rights trump your rights, but hold on. I thought we have equal rights. No, no, no. My rights are always better than yours, and I'm always right and you're always wrong, and th there's a, a tension over that, right? The community, um, you don't have rights, if we paint it in a negative light, you individually don't have rights unless you're within the community, and then the community tells you what your rights are and if you can have them or not. And in the divinity ethic, everything has rights, and everybody gets to be kind of protected, so Cows walk in and out of your house and do their business wherever they feel like it because you can't touch them. They're gods. Okay? So those are the very strange ethical foundations. There's three of them. Now there's six moral foundations that have a good and bad on each side. And I'm going to just tell you the words. There's a lot of them. So if you're going to write them down, that might be helpful. But, um, are they spellable? Yeah, they're spellable. So the first one is care and harm. Care and harm. And so when you think about care and harm, you think about, ah, we can't let the poor animals suffer. You know, you see in the news, some dog was dragged behind one of those little scooters, electrified little scooters, and it was just, ah, oh, that person should die. Wow, okay. That's a little dramatic. I understand you love animals, but should the person die because of an accident or because they're careless? There should be some punishment, sure, but care harm. Consequences. Yeah, consequences. Fairness and cheating. And this one plays out in multiple venues, but what is fair? And the way this plays out for some individuals is the fairness starts with equal opportunity to begin with, and for others, fairness is equal outcomes. That everybody has to have the same. And so that is a very awkward, tense kind of a thing to deal with because of those two polar opposites. But the cheating idea is that everybody has to play fair. It doesn't matter. Everybody has to not cheat. You can't, you can't bend and twist the system for your benefit. No. So that's this number two. Uh, number three is the liberty and oppression. So we have freedom or we need to constrain our freedom for the sake of security, right? Liberty and oppression. <clears throat> um, 
These first three. Oppression or oppression? Oppression. O-P-P-R-E-S-I-O-N. Yeah. And so oppression, two S's in that. Liberty and oppression. And that's where we struggle with um, how free do I get to be versus how much of a um, control state do we live in, a, a state of government control. Um, now, that's one side of the equation. You might be able to guess which side that is. Is that a conservative or a liberal stance? These three that we started with. Care, fairness, liberty. Yeah, care and harm, fairness, cheating, liberty, oppression. Not knowing the others, can you guess which side this is? No, let's do the next set then. There's three more. <clears throat> um, loyalty and betrayal. Loyalty is my country, right or wrong? My flag, my country, my state, my people, my social group. This is me, this is mine, you must be loyal. You must always be with us. If you're not with us, you're with them, you've betrayed us, okay? The next one is authority and subversion. Authority and subversion. And the question with authority and subversion is, uh, the boss, whether it be the president, the church leader, the whoever says, this is what we are doing. And the question is, do you say, aye, aye, yes, sir, I will follow you. Or do you say, I don't think that's right. And um, I, I wish to object. I will, I will take a knee. <laughs> I will not stand for the pledge. I will take a knee. I will not stand for the what do they sing? The national anthem. I will take a knee and I will be subversive and say, we aren't yet fair in this situation. So what does that look like? Is that a respect of authority or is that subversion? And that's number five. Number six is sanctity. S-A-N-C-T-I-T-Y. S-A-N-C-T-I-T-Y, yeah. Sanctity. And degradation to degrade. D-E-G-R-A. D-A-T-I-O-N. And so this looks like what is holy and what is not. And if it's somehow holy in the eyes of the people, whether it's a religious holiness or a community holiness, can you take that thing and put it on the ground and step on it? So for instance, if you have your Bible on the floor in China, oh, no, that's supposed to be a holy thing. Even if they're not religious, they're like, why would you put that on the floor? Why would you put that under your leg? It's not appropriate. That's like sitting on God. No, that's like stepping on God. That's like putting God in the dirt. No, put God on top. Like whatever is holy, you need that to go on top. So for instance, the flag. Can you burn the flag? <sighs> no, in America that is a holy object and you cannot burn the flag. What, what makes red and white stripes with blue and you know white? What makes it holy? Why is it holy? Culture. It, it's, it's culture, it's how we've been raised, it's what we've been taught. Now here's the other fun thing about this. There's six of these moral foundations. Now, here's the reason it's fun. When I brought up some of those things, some of you got very frustrated. Some of you went, ah, okay, I hear you. And you just kept going. <laughs> so here's the issue. Now that you've heard the other side, loyalty, betrayal, authority, subversion, sanctity, degradation, Care, harm, fairness, cheating, liberty, oppression. Which one of these sets of three is the more conservative and which one's the more liberal? Can you guess? Yeah. 
The first will be a liberal conservative, yeah. and the second will be more conservative. Yes, and, and that's exactly right. But here's the other thing you need to know. Conservatives don't dismiss the liberal concerns. They just put them underneath the other three. And while liberals don't dismiss loyalty and authority and sanctity, they put them well below the other three as if they're not present. <laughs> they, they treat those totally different. The liberals are most concerned about those three items, period. The conservatives are concerned about all six, but the top three, the, you know, the last three, their three that we mentioned are more important than the other three. Well, I'm an independent. Yes. And see, here's the difficulty. So here's the reason I say this. It's really important that you recognize who you are, why you are the way you are, so that when you go to look at somebody else, you can say, and I'm just using Rex as an example because he's a friend, and I, I know he's he'll not going to take offense. Yeah, he, he'll be fine with it. And, uh, <laughs> but let's say that Rex is, let's go back to your, um, uh, what do we call it? Civil War, not Civil War. Uh, uh, Vietnam. Vietnam. Vietnam draft. The Vietnam draft and all of that. And whether or not, okay, I'm going to be the guy that can fight in the war. Rex is going to be the guy who says he could be a medic. You're going to be the person, just for fun, to say, I'm an objector, I can't, conscientious objector, I can't serve. But here's the thing, if I understand Rex's heart on why he says, I can't stand in the front and fight, I feel like God has called me to not do that. But hey, I get your viewpoint that you feel you're okay with it and your argument from scripture, while I don't agree with it, I can see how you get it. And you could say, guys, come on. I see how you get your arguments, but I can't do any of that. I can't be involved with the military or the government. I need to do something outside of those things. And if we're honest and kind, and we look at you and see why you argue the way you do, we can say to you, we love you, and it's okay. Well, and those men documented <clears throat> their belief with the scripture. Yes, and that's the thing. If we all sit down and are honest and kind and generous with one another, we can say, I see why you behave the way you do. I, I see why you believe the way you do. And then the other level is, if we can go another step further and say, I see why I get angry the way I do. I see why when, when, when you know, if you're brought up in that era of the, of the, I keep going Civil War because that's stuck in my head from 1906. Um, if you grew up in the Vietnam era and you saw the flag burnt on public television and it was just horrible and horrific for you to see that, I can understand why you were so opposed to people taking a knee. Because for you, that was something meaningful and deep. And then it destroyed your understanding of what America was. But for me and my generation, when somebody takes a knee and I know why they're taking a knee, because they actually went to a, a Marine, I believe it was, and said, hey, I was sitting on the bench and you found that offensive and you came and talked with me and we worked it out and you said taking a knee is a respectful way to politely say I can't do this in America because of. Now, we're getting to a place where we can love each other. But if people say, oh you do that, you horrible, no good. Well hold on, why are you so angry? And now here's the next, there, there's a book I wanna, just another book I wanna throw out to you called Unoffendable. And this book I just recently read. Yeah. I was just saying, part of the piece in there is it, when we have differences of viewpoints, disagreements, is the humility 
that says it's not just about me. Yeah. Um, you know, so just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean you're some horrible person. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, over here, the, the, the assuming the best in the other instead, the, the worst, but what I find so often is we love to judge one another by comparing our best intentions against what we perceive to be the worst of the other rather than assuming, you know, assuming the best. Yeah. yeah. Instead of, so, so instead of assuming, well, you just like killing people when, you know, a baby killer is what they accuse soldiers of. Yes. Being, assume, let's assume you hate, you know, you just hate to see uh, some fascist dictator win. Yeah. I might not agree with you, but at least it's not just, you just, you know, killing people. Yeah. And I think that's the other issue. When we take it to there, then there's scripture for that in Romans 14, isn't it? That says, um, do not judge another servant. They may call a day sacred and holy like Easter. And you might say, hold on, I can't do Easter. I was taught that Easter is unacceptable in the church and we can't do that. At your home, you can do it, but not in the church. And they're saying, hold on. That scripture is definitely relating to the idea that we can all have various agreements and opinions. And you can say to Rex, hey, Rex, you can't do Easter. But hey, I can do Easter. And Rex can go, I am happy that you can do Easter. And I'm going, I'm happy that you don't do Easter. Because praise the Lord, you find joy in honoring God with that. And he can say to me, I love that you find joy in honoring God with Easter. Because it's not a heaven or hell issue. Right. It's a preference issue. But see, that's another one of those, how far out do those things go and what's the core of the gospel? And so that's the struggle. Now, there's a book, Unoffendable. And if you have a question or a comment anytime, as you've already how, done, you can interrupt. How do you spell unoffendable? Unoffendable. U-N-O-F-F-E-N-D-A-B-L-E. Okay, the end is where I wasn't sure. Yeah. And how just one change can make all of life better. Is and, there a colon between it or something? Uh, sure. It, the book looks like un, off, and, ubble. Oh. <laughs> and it's written by Brant Hansen, B-R-A-N-T-H-A-N-S-E-N. -E and here's his, here's his big mantra. The whole thing of the book is, the whole thing of the book is this, that we take a verse and we take it out of context and we use it to say, I'm allowed to be angry. And in my anger, I just can't sin. But I can hold on to that anger for as long as I want. And I can be angry and stew forever. Because it says, in your anger, do not sin. But if we continue that verse <laughs> through the passage, it says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Which means resolve your anger as soon as you possibly can. And more than that, if you skip down to verse 31, this is Ephesians Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 through 31, but mostly chapter 4, verse 26 and 31. The middle part's nice, but we're going to skip to the end. Get rid of all bitterness. Oh, you're pulling it out of Scripture if you're skipping some of that. Oh, no. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So when we see that, we have to ask ourselves, how long does scripture allow me to be angry? How long does God want me to sit in my anger? 
Because what happens is, as long as we let the resentment build, we have more and more bitterness. And the anger grows, and we're feeding a monster. It's not saying that we dismiss it and act like it didn't happen. It's saying we own the situation, what we can own. We're responsible for what we can be responsible for. And then this book, Unoffendable, it's a, it's a spiritual, godly book. And it says, really, when we're offended, it's because something that's sacred to us or that's one of our pet peeves got stepped on. But in truth, we could let that go. Almost all of it, we could let go and say, you know what? Jesus, he was spit on and he forgave them from the cross. So... Jesus calls us to live in a way that we could be spit on and forgive. That we could be hung on a cross and forgive. And so when somebody in the church says, you're an evil son of Satan, how dare you? Uh, You've come here to do what? And uh, you have to stand up and say, no, I actually love Jesus. I love God. And I love you too. And I'm sorry you feel this way. And I've had to do that. (laughs) Publicly in front of the whole church. And, um, And I say that to say... People get bent out of shape and they don't know why or how. And it's probably because somewhere they got something twisted and they didn't deal with it when they should have dealt with it immediately. They let it keep going. And then they come before the whole church and, or, or the elders and they're accusing of things they know nothing of. And they're overblown and overdramatic. When if we're honest and if we see an offense or we see an issue and we start to deal with it as soon as it happens, that won't happen. It doesn't need to go there. And that's where we circle back to churches and families and say this in in my closing. That if we live in such a way as to say, I see a dog, I see a pig, I see a fruity false prophet, and I say, hey, that's not likely very many people. That's only a few people. Even in a church of a couple hundred or a thousand, you're not talking about more than a handful of people. And if you're in a smaller church, church of 100, you might have one or two of those if you're, if you're unlucky. <laughs> the reality is that most people are just people, and they've gotten some wires crossed along the way, and they're more sensitive about something. And so if we would sit down and say, hey, look, this is where I'm struggling. Something happens. I see your face get twisted up, and I need you to tell me why that's twisted the way it is. Why, why does this offend you? I'm not trying to offend you. I want the best for all of us. How can we be more loving? How can I give you grace and space and how can you give me grace and space so that I know I'm stepping on your thing, but then you can also go, hey, look, they're not meaning to step on my thing. They just need to deal with an issue for everybody and they're not picking on me. And when we do that more and more and more, then we get to a healthier place in our whole lives. (coughs) Questions, comments, concerns? Comments. Yes. It's what you allow in. And Christ, because he, he is light, yes. and in him is no darkness, all those fits and, and things thrown at him and hit on him and all, it didn't phase him because there is so much love and light that it couldn't penetrate. Yeah. And that's, that's the issue. When you get to the place where you can say, you know what, they're probably having a bad day. They're probably having a bad life. They're probably having a bad month, a bad week, a bad year, or like I said earlier, a bad life. Something happened to them that didn't go well. And and they're taking it out because they don't know how else to deal with their tension. They don't know how to deal with their anger. 
They don't know how to deal with their tardiness to everything. They don't know how to deal with whatever it is. And then you need to come alongside them and love them, but also set boundaries. And that's where healthy boundaries are incredibly important. You have to make a judgment call and say, in my circle of influence, wherever I'm responsible for, I am only going to allow this much. When this goes past here, I need to turn and walk away because there's a passage that says, uh, deal with a divisive brother once, twice, and then have nothing to do with them. A divisive person. And I mean that in the terms of somebody who's coming at you and you're starting to recognize maybe they're a dog, maybe they're a pig, maybe they're somehow fruity and a false prophet or something, I don't know. They, they, don't, they are not healthy. There are people that are called to deal with those, and that's not everybody. But there are also people that all of us are called to deal with, and we're to love them and to bless them and to help them, but not be their enabler. Encourage bad actions and always letting them walk all over everything. There's a difference between being unoffendable, where you're not going to be enraged by something, and where you're going to let somebody walk all over you constantly. So the, the, and that's for each of us to decide and understand, because all those ethical and moral foundations, you can restructure those, because we all do, and put whichever one you want first. And there's somewhere in around 700 different combinations of which one comes first and how we order those that creates our own little subcultures in our families and among our friends. And so I say that to say, there's a lot of different ways to be right. <laughs> because love is in every single one of those ethical and moral foundations. And when we truly love, we're adaptable to whatever is around us, like Paul, and we allow people to be themselves but we also encourage them to come closer to Christ. And however that looks for them, not how we prescribe it for them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Where we allow them to see and discover who God is calling them to be, but while we maintain our integrity. Meaning, I might say, you know, from my childhood, I just don't feel good clapping. I'm not comfortable clapping. Praise God that you can, but I can't. My boundary for me is I will not clap. Don't think that it's a judgment on you, which, I can clap, I will clap, that's not the issue, but I'm saying as an example. So I'm okay with instruments and everything, but, but I'm saying if somebody has that issue, the kindest, generous way for them to allow others is to say, hey, good for you, I'm happy for you. I feel I can't. Okay, so in one church, you could have that broad spectrum of people and, and everybody love one another enough to say, our community is important that we want to honor Jesus and the freedom that he's given us so that you can not clap and I can dance <laughs> and it's okay. And you celebrate that I'm free to do that and I celebrate that you're not. I want to honor what you are called to and I want you to honor what I'm called to as long as it's within the bounds of Christ and his generous love. Does that make sense? So hopefully that's been helpful. Um, Two books, highly recommend, and of course the Bible. <laughs> that would be the, the first that comes before the others. But thanks for the time. Thank you. I hope I've been helpful.